Was it when you were in America? asked Roberts, sympathetically. Did they make you drink coffee there? No, I didn't like tea before I went to America. Never have. So you don't drink tea at all? persisted Roberts, adrift in the unknown. No. Why not? Well, it tastes awful. Ten people recoiled at this heresy. Sands tightened his grip on his mug, as if fearing it would be torn from him and coffee would suddenly become compulsory. Hoyle seemed unaware of the consternation around him, calmly spooning coffee into a mug and topping it up with boiling water. I watched him as he sat quietly, sipping his devil's brew, and, as usual, taking very little part in the conversation around him. Even after all this time, he was the trainee about whom I knew the least. He was quiet, polite and hard-working, he caused no trouble at all, and yet every time I looked at him, I felt a stir of unease. Who did he remind me of? The security team did another quick recce as they loaded up their equipment. Apart from reminding them to make sure they had enough tapes and water, I hardly had to do a thing. I could get used to this training lark. To make sure we were all on the same page, I asked Miss Lingos to lay out the day's schedule. We think we may have identified an opening on the southeastern side of the valley. There's a cluster of three tombs together, KV-60, KV-20, and off to one side, KV-43. However, at the fork in the path, close to KV-60, she stabbed at the map, we've identified a stone formation that looks suspiciously regular. We've consulted modern maps and there's nothing shown. We think there's a possibility that over the centuries, whatever is there will be concealed by the spoil from KV-19, which, of course, hasn't been built yet. Satisfactory work, I said. Who identified the site? Without hesitation, she nodded across the pod, and I was pleased to see she had no difficulty bestowing credit where it was due. Atherton. Well done, Mr Atherton. I shall look forward to viewing your findings this evening. They loaded themselves up with equipment again, and we stepped outside into the early morning sunshine. The air seemed close and still. I wiped sweat from my forehead. It was hotter than yesterday, much hotter. Markham and Randall reported the area clear. Lingos directed them to their original sites, and they dispersed. I gave them half an hour, then picked up a water flask and settled my hat firmly on my head. I was just exiting the pod when I met Markham coming towards me from further up the trail. We may have a problem, he gestured. He was right. We did have a problem. Over to the northeast, clouds were building on the horizon, big, ominous, bubbling clouds of purple and dirty grey. I remembered this area was prone to heavy winter rainfall. I think we should get them all back, he said. We'll wait things out inside the pod. I know it looks a long way off, but the autumn storms in this area can be ferocious. I nodded. These were trainees. We weren't taking any chances. I'll recall them now. How secure is the pod? It's big and solid and waterproof. I'll get the lightning rod up. We may have to power down for a while, but we'll be perfectly safe. I stepped aside and activated my comm. This is Maxwell. We have a heavy weather warning. Pack up your gear and return to the pod. Immediate action. Maxwell out. Markham had crawled forwards to look down into the valley. Max, come and look. Any doubts I might have had about whether I was being over-cautious were dispelled when I saw what was going on below. Controlled panic. Workers were scurrying around, shouting orders and instructions. 
Tools and valuable items were being loaded onto protesting camels and donkeys. This was not people battening down for a storm. This was an evacuation. They were leaving as quickly as they could. Canvases were hurriedly thrown over valuable but immovable items, their flapping corners secured. Everyone seemed in a big hurry to leave. Even as we watched, the wind got up, blowing stinging dust and sand into our eyes. I reached for my sunglasses, and Markham pulled his scarf around his neck. In the sky, clouds boiled angrily, enveloping the sun, leaving only a frilly golden glow around the edges. A big weather front was coming through. I clambered to the top of a nearby rock and looked anxiously for my people. Atherton and Hoyle were first back, escorted by Roberts and Evans. All of them were staggering slightly under the weight of all their gear, and Atherton, a true historian in the making, was complaining bitterly at having to...